0: Hey, listeners, in case you haven't checked out what we've been uh, talking about recently on our social media sites and a, uh, a post from ACOEP, we are now the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians, ACOEP. What does that mean for you? It means the chance to get more, hopefully, awesome content from us. So we're going to be doing live sessions at their conferences. So they have a conference coming up this October, which is going to be virtual, like uh, most of the conferences coming up. And uh, we're going to have a couple hours worth of EM over easy style sessions during the ACoAP conference and get some CME from us, listening to us through uh, ACoAP. And we're also going to do some dedicated podcasts just for the ACoAP. So we will occasionally release those to all of our listeners, but uh, if you're interested in hearing more about what we're doing and getting some CME credit for listening to us, become a member or consider at least signing up for the uh, the CME offerings through the ACOAP. We're super excited about it. We are honored to be there. Um, their official podcast. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity for a collaboration. But don't worry, it's not going to change what we do for our regular podcast. So if all you want to do is listen to what we're doing on a regular basis, then uh, continue doing that. But please, 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 if you're interested, check out the ACOEP content as well. And as always, thanks so much for listening.
1: Welcome, everybody, to an episode of EM Over Easy. Andy Little here with my co-host, Drew and Tanner.
2: Morning. Good morning.
1: And we are here doing a clinical grind. So we're back for our fifth season of EM Over Easy, which we can pontificate on that later. But wanted to get to this case that is actually really old. So to give you guys a preface, I have been trying to figure out when to talk about this case uh, ever since we started doing clinical grinds, which Drew introduced a couple years ago. And this this case is actually from my intern year. Great so idea. I'm gonna that part by the way. It, great, great idea. One of Drew's many great ideas for our podcast. And but this is a case that I my, had might my be intern my year. Great idea, actually. But well, that's not true. Um, but this was a case from my intern year, and so we'll start with the case, and then we'll kind of go through the layers of of why I think this is important for us to talk about in today's context. If that's cool with you guys. You guys ready?
2: Yeah, that sounds good. Except
1: for isn't intern year for you like? Uh-oh, a decade ago? It's almost a decade ago. Thanks, Tanner, for reminding me. A decade ago. That, that's, 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 that's both an accomplishment and a, um, a meter of how old I am. So thank you. I appreciate that. So, All right, so... Yeah. So this case is a case I think we've all seen from the initial presentation. So it was a 20 something year old male presented to our emergency department with a headache. So he presented to a community, um, a community emergency department with a headache. He kind of notes in his HPI that it began last night. He really focuses on this, this phrase um, that I will tell you that I anchored on. He was sleeping on a buddy's couch. And he began having headache. He began having a headache. He admits to some neck pain. Um, again, attributes it to sleeping on the armrest of this buddy's couch. And then the rest of his headaches kind of pretty benign. Um, his exam um, was normal. He notes he had taken some Tylenol at home, which did relieve his headache. Um, you know, I asked him the the, the PQRST for headache uh, symptoms. He denied trauma. He denied um, travel, denied fever. You know, all the things are really negative other than this kind of generic headache that he really attributes to sleeping on his buddy's couch. So again, so for, when I saw this patient, um, his exam was completely normal. He was alert and oriented times three, cranial nerves were in tract, um, cerebellar testing was normal, and I even walked this guy. I was, you know, a dedicated intern wanting to make sure that every part of this guy's exam was normal um, in my first couple months in the emergency department. So I think we've all seen this patient, right? I think... As I'm, as I'm telling the story, I think of another 20 people who I've seen with this headache. Uh, yeah, completely agree that
0: this is a pretty common patient. It sounds like you did the things you need to do on your initial evaluation, uh, whether there was anchoring or not based on the chief complaint. I mean, the chief complaint makes you think that this is some type of musculoskeletal torticollis, right? Uh, slept on a small couch at his buddy's house. His neck was probably wry and he's got spinal tension and all that. And then... It, as opposed to just saying, here's some NSAIDs or here's a muscle relaxer and send him on his merry way. You did the things you need to do on a headache for a patient, right? I mean, I mean, the worst thing we can do is just get a chief complaint, diagnose based on chief complaint and send somebody out. We have to still do our physical exam and make sure that what the patient presents with is consistent with what the diagnosis that we're giving them is. And you did that, right? I mean, you, you did the review of systems. You did a proper neuro exam. You ambulated him and, and, I, I cringe a little bit when you said, and I even ambulated him. That's something that we should be doing on all of our neuro patients, regardless of their complaint, right? Make sure that they ambulate well. Even if it's ambulate free from the ED, sometimes that's my, my, uh, telling point. Like I don't necessarily have to ambulate them before discharge, but I tell the nurse specifically, this patient needs to walk out of the ED. And if they can't walk out of the ED, let me know. Or I watch them walk to the bathroom, things like that. So you, you did all the things that you needed to do. I, I think to evaluate the patient appropriately. So, um I'm guessing because we're talking about this on a clinical grind that there's there's more to the story, but based on what you're telling me from the initial presentation, I don't have any qualms so far.
2: Yeah. So far I've seen this patient a hundred times every year.
0: Right. And and I haven't scanned them necessarily. I haven't LP'd them. I haven't I mean I I treat them for the symptoms they present with because they had a normal neuro exam and nothing else that was a red flag symptom um that I could tell based on the presentation and sent them on their merry way with good ED return precautions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So like you guys said, he, he was given NSAIDs with improvement uh, sent home. And so uh, his second visit is the next night. So uh, I'm working a string of nights. I see him the second time, identical headache, different attending. Um, the, the other attending reads the chart and says, Hey, this guy's here for musculoskeletal headache. Probably didn't get better with NSAIDs. Um, we go through, do another thorough physical exam no, it says neck pain's a little worse. Has some nausea. Um, again, he he anchors on this. It's all because I slept on my buddy's couch. Um, had no other red flags on his exam. He had no meninges. Full range of motion of his neck. Neuro exam is still normal. Still able to walk without problems. So we said, hey, you know what? We just gave him oral NSAIDs last time. Let's try a he- let's try a headache cocktail here, and see if he gets better. So he gets some tortol, some Zofran. Um, is able to eat, able to drink, and so feels better. We send him home. Again, one of those where it's like, all right, well, we've all had that bounce back where maybe the first treatment wasn't enough. Um, but again, a good physical exam, no red flags on his exam for us to think we need to get an LP or or, or kind of advance the patient's uh, diagnostic acumen. Didn't get labs this time as well either. Um, just give just gave the meds and moved on. So really the, the so, question... Oh, you go for it, Drew. Sure.
0: You know, one of the things that I, I don't know if I gathered initially in the history is does he have a history of headaches he does not so no history of headaches in a young healthy 20-ish year old male now with greater than 24 hours of persistent headache that only briefly alleviated with what is a totally appropriate conservative treatment is that mm-hmm. yes am i on yep. okay
1: you're on you're on par yeah yeah so i
0: Knowing we're on a clinical grind, I, I'm, I'm biased. And we're gonna yeah. talk about that a little more. But you know, to me now, I'm starting to notice a couple a couple things um, that are jumping out at me. Particularly if I'm seeing this patient twice. Now, the the problem is if I'm seeing this patient again and they look as good as they did the first time I see them, that, that I can really have early closure on this. And mm-hmm. I, I've had a couple of these recently too, where I've seen a patient come back to the ED for the same complaint. They still look fantastic. You know, we try that work up one more time and then they come back a third time and somebody different sees them and orders that one extra test that, that leads to the diagnosis. So we're all guilty of this, but in the back of my head, I am wondering a little bit, do I need to check myself here? Just because now we're getting into a little bit of an atypical presentation and, and mainly it's because there's no history of headaches on an otherwise healthy person that should recover from a musculoskeletal headache really quickly, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Yeah, this this is definitely – I'm biased because I'm hearing a second visit for the same thing, Mm -hmm. persistent in a non-normal presentation for that patient makes me say, well, maybe we should expand this workup, but I mean – there's countless times where you're the person seeing the patient and you end up either not doing it for certain reasons or doing it for certain reasons. So, um, retrospect is 2020 hindsight's 2020. There you go. That's
1: the yeah. And so, and so again, this being a clinical grind, we're, we're going to go somewhere where there's a teaching point here. And so third visit uh, is the next night. So this is the third time I've seen him three nights in a row. And luckily, uh, again, had a different attending. So each time I had a different perspective, but I will tell you the third visit, something was different. Um, one thing I didn't mention about the patient so far is, is that, uh, this patient English is not his first language. Um, he comes from a population that at least were retrained, um, is a population that there is some bias towards where a male from this, um, particular background would, would either be considered there's nothing wrong with them or they're really, there's nothing wrong with them that the males that males that come in, uh, from, from their socioeconomic background, aren't people that we should worry about. And so I was biased from the beginning. But he comes in from the third time, and luckily the third time, everything's different. So he's there with his friend. The friend's couch that he was sitting on shows up with him and his mom. And so the patient comes in the third time, not for a headache, but after suffering a syncopal episode at home. And so um, we're able to get more history. Uh, So the friend that he slept on the couch for Gave the first history that the night before the first visit he had a head-on collision while playing soccer, so the patient was not able to give me, didn't give me that any time that I saw him. So I got that additional history from his friend, and then his mom noted just prior to coming in he had been up vomiting and vomiting and vomiting, and then passed out in the bathroom and hit his head against the wall. And so, of course, adding those other historical factors, uh, we did the third visit workup, um, and also because they were there, got the third visit information and so for me because this was a third visit, so, so you even if they Zofran had not come, and I was going this to call somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give him Zofran friend and send him home this time. And so Oh uh, because this I, time I
0: mean, so far this yeah. just seemed like an exacerbating headache to me that we had no obviously the <laughs> yeah, situation like, completely changed, right? This is Whoa, 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 where, this is is the same where did same this story? come from? Yeah, this has nothing to do with the first patient that uh, it's obviously the same patient, but this
1: is not the same story, right? And and not the same story. different story different.
2: Different. Completely different presentation. Like, yeah. Yeah. Game and on. So, now,
1: right. So, so I, I walk in the room and he just looks, he's, he, he's, he's in the version of a headache extremist where he's like sweaty and he's vomiting and he's vomiting. He's not able to be comfortable. He's writhing in bed. Um, we decide actually his blood pressure is, you know, through the roof. And so we decide, you know what? We need to get a headset in this guy, but we need to, um, tube him first. So we intubate him because of how severe he looks with the history that mom given him, concerned that there might be a head bleed. And sure enough, we get a head CT that shows multiple subdural hematomas. So we package him up, um, transfer him over to our tertiary care center where he can see neurosurgery, actually discharged home with no no long-term disabilities. Um, I actually saw him as a patient about eight weeks later. I remember when I saw his name, it was just like, please don't be here for a headache. Was it for a headache again? It It was not for a headache (laughs) Um, but it was, it was for something different, but like got to talk to him. Um, he actually doesn't remember anything that happened because he was concussed from his initial head trauma. So, but the reason why I really wanted to talk about this is that, um, I didn't add the the modifiers to the patient. So we, we just finished recording an episode with John Casey, where we talked about modifiers to patients and the normal. And to me, this was a great example of, I went into this patient's room because I saw him as a non-English speaker. And this is, I'm admitting some bias here at the time he was a non-English speaker and he was from a subset of patients that unfortunately from my training program uh, have a bad reputation. Um, and so I went into the room with, Hey, I'm just going to treat this guy as if there's nothing wrong. And even though I did the workup, I did a full physical exam. I had a great, I had a great chart. I didn't give the patient the benefit of the doubt that he could be sick. And I forgot the old adage of his patients don't have to prove to me that they're sick. I have to prove that they're not. And so. I walked in with a ton of bias and I think this is something that we all do. Um, and so as I was thinking about this case and about how do we avoid this in the future, and I had to do this as an intern and I've done it multiple times since as I've found other biases that I've had, I've really had to ask the question of why does talking about bias matter? So when we think about bias, why does it matter to you guys?
2: To me, you know, bias matters because it's always there. Um, and it's, and it's very, very sneaky because you typically aren't thinking i have a ton of bias in this exact moment you usually in those kind of moments are thinking about the biases themselves but not acknowledging them and so it's one of those ones that can can sneak up on you real quick if you're not taking a step back and and kind of the the bigger view of what's going on for just a half second to say hey where do, where am i going with this
0: Tanner, you make a great point, but uh, there's bias everywhere in this situation and there's bias everywhere in healthcare. It's the, the patient that presents um, in so many ways. It's, uh, do we have a bias or a stereotype based on who the person is? Have they been to the ED multiple times uh, recently? Are they frequent flyers? Is it because of a demographic that we have a conscious or unconscious bias? Is it just the chief complaint that we're biased to based on their demographic? You know, a, a young 20-year-old male with a headache from sleeping on the couch funny who looks fine. And, you know, I'm going to take a leap of faith here that maybe hadn't even taken an NSAID or Tylenol or anything like that to try to help the headache. You're like, you know, it, it's, it's hard not to bias yourself in that situation. And there's complaint after complaint where we, we have some sort of bias towards, uh, because of a demographic. And when I say demographic, I don't necessarily mean race or gender. That, that certainly mm-hmm. is part of it. And it's something we have to be very keen on, but age, um, mm-hmm. as well as, Patients' healthcare demographic, as far as what type of care they typically receive, is the ED primary care? Do they have outside primary care? Or are they a frequent flyer that's been identified in the system, right? They have a care plan in place, things like that. It, you know, those are meant to help guide our care and yet can't help but bias us also. Uh, because there's a care plan in place for someone who comes the ED as a high utilizer um, is, the, is the more appropriate term than, than frequent flyer. So in so many places, there's bias in healthcare. And, and the patient, Andy, that you're talking about, I can see multiple levels of bias potential in this situation, undoubtedly some that, that no matter how hard I tried, I would have also.
1: So I, I think to me, really, the issue is, is that we all agree that bias is real, um, it's something that we've either acquired over time or something that our system sets in place. The question is, what do we do when we're confronted by it and we realize that our current thinking process or our bias is wrong? So the issue becomes when we are confronted by our bias, how do we react and um, when we know what's wrong? And so really it comes down to there's really, to me, there's two ways to look at this to where there's two types of bias. So whenever I'm approached by, hey, my bias is is coming on, I have to ask one or two questions. Is it a systemic bias? So like Drew mentioned, are there processes in place that lead us to bias? I love the idea of the care plan patients because there are so many of those patients that come into our emergency departments that we actually try to get on care plans to help guide our practice, but can also lead us to missing diagnoses and missing problems because of that bias. And so um, really is, can these be fixed? And, And I think honestly, some of them can, but not all of them can unless if it's us personally looking at each patient to say, all right, so here's the systemic bias that they have. Are we missing something? And then the way to probably fix some of those two is to talk about how we need to include multiple players in our systems to help us choose patients specifically to make sure we're not giving them biased treatments down the road. And then the second type of bias I think about is personal. And that's probably the one that we have the most control over. Um, Cause this is what our experiences have led us to the moment that we interact with people. And so For this patient, it um, it was, I had made a conscious bias of this patient's from this demographic. This is how my peers feel about them. That's how I'm going to feel about them. And so I had to, at times we have to check ourselves and be like, all right, so is this my problem? Because if it's my problem, I have to be willing to move forward from it.
0: It's so hard to identify both systemic and personal problems. Uh, I try very hard to mitigate both. Uh, but it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, it's, it's the concept, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself situation. And there's really no better way to describe it. I think as you were talking about the systemic bias part, um, this is going to be me quoting somebody who's quoting somebody else. So I'm sure I'm going to mess it up. It's going to <laughs> a telephone here, but, um, our good friend Swami always talks about one of his attendings when he was training Goldfrank in New York, who said, always asked the question, what is the lesion in healthcare that caused this patient to present to the ED? And, yeah. and I'm sure he said it somewhere differently, but it's essentially, that's a great way to check systemic bias, is ask yourself, what was the healthcare problem that ultimately ended up in causing this patient to come to the ED? And oftentimes, when you take a step back and think about it, it's because there is a systemic bias, and that's what caused this patient to ultimately come to the ED, because they didn't have access to care, or the care they had access to wasn't appropriate, or uh, when they did have access to care, there was a bias that didn't properly diagnose it. And, and Andy, I don't think in the initial visit based on what you described there, there was significant bias affecting care. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, 99% of EM physicians would have treated that patient the way you treated them. And the 1% honestly I, would have maybe been wrong for doing more with the history you had. Um, so that's not what I'm saying, but, but, then you ask yourself, you know, when these situations occur, what, what is it from a systemic approach? And and that's one way to check yourself. And then certainly on a personal level, that's just constant self-improvement. And I think our, our current culture has really brought to light how we have so many more personal biases than we really admitted to, right? I don't think of myself as a particularly biased person. And, and I, you know, I used to, I'll go out there and say that I used to tell myself that I, I didn't really see race and, and it took our current Social movements for me to realize that that was wrong. I actually did see race right. I was just telling myself that because I thought that was an okay thing to say. Um, but but that even isn't an okay thing to say. And that's actually helped me address bias on that point too, right? So it, it's a learning process, and it's something that you continually have to work on because the minute you stop working on bias, both from a systemic level and a personal level, then that's when it gets worse, and that's when something bad is going to happen. Not just in the healthcare setting, but but in the rest of your life too.
2: Yeah, I like that. Um, and I think, you know, from a systemic setting, I I, th- I think you really have to just set aside time to look at the system and look at uh, uh, what is going on around you. And maybe something that's actually not even happening on shift so much as, you know, at a certain point, setting some, t- some time aside to actually set up a review of what's going on in your systems, where are pitfalls, where places where you may be entrapped into a a bad decision or, or miss something. Um, but from a personal side of thing, I feel like that's something that you can really actively work on, uh, pretty consistently. And one of the ones, one of the ways that I kind of use it, uh, or or I'm trying to become better at avoiding biases is biases. Is that, is that the correct
1: term? I think yeah we'll we'll use it Sounds yeah good. We, sure. we'll go with that rocket. Uh,
2: is, but one of the ways that I am starting to try to do it because I've definitely had cases of my own where you know looking back it's like man I really anchored on this why did I get stuck on that why didn't I do X Y Z um, and and one of uh, one of the ways that I've kind of started to approach that is when I start to have cases that I just get that weird spidey sense that hey I think something. Like whether it's weird or whether it's just seems too straightforward for what I would expect, like trying to just talk it out loud, whether I'm talking out loud with the unfortunate respiratory therapist who's next to me or the nurse that's there or um, uh, some of the other places I've worked where I have a scribe, like you just kind of start hashing out being like, man, is this making sense? And, and it's funny how that alone can help you kind of work through some of the stuff where and even if honestly, even if you're in a room by yourself uh, and you just start talking the case out loud, almost like you're presenting it to somebody, um, because oftentimes when you say stuff out loud, the words have more meaning, which is a weird thing to kind of say. But like when you're thinking through a process, the the words don't necessarily have the same impact as when you say it out loud. When you say this is a 20 year old male who's come in for a second visit for a headache, the. F- Almost the first thing that I think out loud is like has he It's like does he have a history of headaches? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if if I if I hear that out loud I'm like, that's that's what I want to know. But when you're just thinking it, you may not get to that same conclusion right away and all of a sudden you've skipped over it or you've just gone on to the next, you know, neurologically intact, you've jumped to the other important things that we have to ask too. So, um that's one of the personal things that I've been trying to do more often in these in these cases is, you know, talking about it out loud, whether it's with somebody else or just myself.
1: Yeah. no, I really like that idea of talking it out. And it's one of those that as, as you were saying that I'm reminded of like one, one reason I love working where we, where we work and where we all work uh, or just working in general, where there's another doctor is if I'm stumped, I just go present the case to them and say, Hey, this is what I've got. What do you think? And so many times, like, I'll get to the answer before they even say a word. And I'm like, ah, thank, thanks. Let me talk to you. I'll be back. And then, like, you go and you take care of it. And I love that idea of just talking it out. If you get to a, get to a roadblock where you feel like, all right, I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Just present it to yourself or to, or to somebody else. So, um, so when we think about, again, the case, I mean, I will admit that. Even looking back on this, the first visit, I think, was going to be the first visit. It was a young male with, with a musculoskeletal headache that got better with NSAIDs. To me, it was the second visit. It was, you know, I, I saw my bias coming through of, hey, this is the second night in a row where he's coming at 2 o'clock in the morning, didn't see his family doctor. I started playing the game we've we've all talked about playing before where I started giving the patient um or started making excuses for the patient about why they were in my emergency department, um, which I did not include when we talked about the case initially, but still did a good physical exam, still did what I thought was an appropriate workup. But if I had given the patient the benefit of the doubt and thought, hmm, he doesn't have headaches, this is something I should be worried about. And then also um probably dug a little deeper to try to get some extra history, probably would have gotten to found out he probably had a head bleed then and could have avoided the third visit, which was, significantly worse where he was significantly sicker you know i think the
0: other bias that we didn't mention explicitly that you kind of get at a little bit is take a step back you were an intern on this case right and i was thinking the
2: same thing man
0: you're, you're in the middle of the dregs of uh i mean we all trained in the same program at that point we were doing 20 plus shifts uh a, a month in the ed um plus usually some some house officer shifts i mean uh it it was Incredible training, right? And, and I'm not blaming the training, but but we've all been there. And if this is, depending on the season, you know, you've been beat up, you're at this end of a long string of shifts. And it's kind of, it's the point in your training where you start off intern, you're super excited and, and everybody's interesting and everyone you care really deeply about. And at some point in the middle of your intern year going into second year of training, you start having that that bias of like, what's wrong with everybody? Why are you even here? I'm super busy. Like, just what? why right and it's easy to brush some of this aside and and first of all the fact that you did the appropriate work up and exam is a testament to to who you were even as an intern um but it, you know it takes training to actually work out that initial bias in healthcare um practice where you go from I care about everyone deeply too. I almost don't care about anybody and then swing back into the, no, I really do care. And this is how I do it. And this is how I manage these moments of stress. So it's biased on a completely different level, but let's not forget that. And I think it's a really important thing to, to bring up one, because we have a lot of listeners that are training, but mm-hmm. it, throughout our career, no matter how long you've been doing this, there's swings of burnout versus not burnout and, and whatever else. And, and so You didn't do it wrong right it's it's just that this is one of these cases that bias or not this probably would have
1: happened but then bias plays into it too so real quick just for the listeners i really think there are three take-home points to think about what we've talked about so the first one is bias is real everybody has it the question is what are you going to do about it Um, approach bias with a growth mindset because these are things that can be modified whether they're systemic or whether they're personal. You are not stuck thinking the way you think or feeling the way you feel. You can educate yourself, and you can broaden your horizons to become a better person and provider. And then by addressing bias as we find it, whether, again, it's personal or systemic, we can expand our views and become a better provider, human being, and just overall person. So guys, I appreciate you guys letting me bring this case and this discussion to the podcast. I know it's something we've wanted to talk about for a while. And for our listeners, we hope you guys check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also go to our blog site, emovereasy.com, and subscribe to our, our bi-monthly newsletter that Tanner's been collating for the past couple months, which is a great way to get an insight into your hosts and what we're doing when we're not talking to you on our podcast. So. Two fingers and a tight line Keep my head above the alpine Swish I'd spend more time Listening to Speak her mind Thinking about every day of-